What is going on, Breakthrough Success listeners? Mark Verde here. In this episode, we are going to talk about a book launch. How do we do a successful book launch? What are some of the elements that go into selling your books and reaching more readers? We're going to talk about that in this episode. We are joined by a guest who is an avid gardener and amateur horticulturist. She has been a contributor to a leading South African gardening magazine, and her recent book, container and raised bed gardening for beginners and beyond is a guide to growing your own vegetables, herbs, fruits, and cut flowers. She recently launched her book. She's going to talk about some of the things that really helped her book shine. So our guest who joins us is none other than Wendy Silvera. Wendy, welcome. Hello, Mark. Fabulous intro. Thank you very much. And hello to all your listeners. Wendy, it is such a pleasure to have you on Breakthrough Success. And I really love the direction we're going to take with this episode because normally when I talk about book launches, it's someone who like they do book launch coaching or they have a book launch uh, course or something like that. But now we're talking with Wendy in this episode who she just went through it with a book that isn't necessarily about book launches. So I'm wondering, let's start with what inspired you to write your book? We start there and we could build up to the book launch. Well, if I can start a little with the with a backstory. I'm a, a teacher of many years. I've been a gardener for 11 years, many years. And I'm also a wordsmith, love to write, love to edit. I'm a typical English teacher. The red, pa- the red pen simply never dies. I also love graphics. And basically, at, during the pandemic, when I found myself faced with nine-week summer vacation, during which I couldn't travel back to my family in South Africa, which I've been doing every year. My mom is 97, still going strong. I have fabulous genes. Um, my husband came along and said, well, what about writing that book? And he'd be on me for years. And I'd always say, well, you know, I don't have time. I teach full time. When am I going to write a book? And of course, I had nine weeks in which to do so. And Murphy's Law, he was working on his computer and he came across a bookmark, which was to a person called Michelle Culp, who has a, uh, she's a, a writing coach. She has a best-selling author program. And I think, uh, Mark, she's been on your program, if I'm not mistaken. And he said, you know, we've got this, this, this earl. Let's see if it's still around. And he said, I'm sure it isn't. And, of course, it was. This, he'd had it for years. And we contacted Michelle. And long story short, uh, she became our coach. And we've just, pub- we've just had a very successful book launch And it's been the most successful book launch she has ever had. And she has published about 200 books. So it really did. It was just a winner. (laughs) (laughs) And um, it it was sort of the perfect storm. It all came together. And, you know, I like to think that at least for, for me, a little bit of good did come out of the pandemic. And it gave me the time to focus on this because it's not something I could probably have done otherwise. Yeah, Wendy and I, we both know Michelle. Um, sometimes it is good to get that extra help when it comes to something as big as launching a book. Uh, Michelle's definitely been on the show. We will link to that. Uh, she's been on a few of my virtual summits as well. Uh, but just coaching, like anything like that, is definitely a big jump. But 
if you do see this as like a life mission or even something you just want to get it off your to-do list, your bucket list, you want to get it out there, uh, that path is something that could definitely make sense for some people. Wendy, I'm wondering, like, what were the key objectives you and Michelle had in place for your book to measure its ability to be successful? Like, what were the key things you focused on? Well, if I can just back up for a moment and say that, you know, we were very naive. We simply thought that we would sit down and write a book on gardening because it's one of my <laughs> many passions. <laughs> and, you know, I would generate this marvelous book and people would be there to buy it. And she said, no, maybe not. So she, she, uh, she listened very carefully. And then she said, well, and I said, you know, I could basically, I could write a book about many aspects of gardening, but the one that occurred to me was something called English cottage gardening. And, um, she said, well, let me, let me investigate. And she has various uh, software applications that she uses to test the market, essentially. And she went in and she came back and she said, well, if you write a book about English cottage gardening, it's going to be a very small niche market. But how do you feel about writing a book on raised bed gardening? And this was like a whole 180 and without going down the gardening route too much, um, I thought, well, where we thought, I said, let us think about it. And I'd been doing raised bed gardening on and off for years, um, back in my South African days before I came out in 99 to, South, to, to uh, the States. And we gave it some thought and I had a look at some of, some of what was out there. And then she said, well, let me sit down with you and show you why you should be doing a book on raised bed gardening. And they call this uh, reverse engineering. And so basically they look at the, the, the sales figures in Amazon and they say, right, this is where the trend is. And clearly the trend in gardening books was raised beds, which are these sort of frame beds that are above the ground that you see all over the place at the moment. And, um, and so instead of just writing a book, you now write a book to an established market. And so half the battle is done because you know that there is a ready market out there. And then your side of the equation is to write a killer book that's going to just blow people away. That's all you have to do, <laughs> pretty much. So that was, that was certainly news to us, this whole concept of reverse engineering, writing to establish market, that was, uh, that was mind blowing. And then when we thought about it, you know, we, we have golden retrievers. I'm a competitive dog trainer. Um, I do obedience training uh, myself. I compete and I'm a rally, AKC rally judge as well. And as we walk our golden retrievers around the neighborhood, we had noticed that, and this was part of the pandemic, that raised beds simply popped out of nowhere in people's front gardens. They literally mushroomed overnight. You know, you'd go past and there would suddenly be more raised beds. And this all gelled. I think it's been a reaction to the pandemic and to 2020. People have been at home more. They've had more, they're not commuting. They've had more time on their hands. And they, it gives them some modicum of control as well. Uh, they were faced with possible uh, deficits at supermarkets. And so this, this afforded them the opportunity to take some degree of control. Not quite survivalism, but a very um, 
watered down version of that. And um, for your older uh, listeners, uh, this is very similar to what happened during the Second World War, in which um, uh, certainly overseas in the, in the UK, they, this is how they survived. This really was survivalism at, the, at its best. They dug up their beautifully manicured lawns because Brits are very famous for their wonderful lawns. And they dug these up and they started growing turnips and rutabagas and all these sort of vegetables and potatoes and whatnot to survive. And so in a sense, this bed trend here has been something along the lines of the Victory Gardens of old, which, and it just uh, bore out what Michelle was saying. And certainly what we've seen, you know, more books published whilst I was writing, more books on raised bed have been published. So, you know, you, the, 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 the market is there, but the competition is also quite fierce. Yeah. Sorry, Mark, I may have gone <laughs> off on a tangent. But, no, uh, I mean, that was great. I mean, the competition is always going to be there for any book you do. But Wendy said something really important, and I do want to get into this. She said a lot of great things, but the thing I want to focus on in particular is she had this idea of what she wanted to go in on. She, This is going to be the book that I write. And then Michelle dug through the data and was like, no, you should write about this book because this book has a greater audience and sales potential. And part of it is looking at the data and letting it guide your decisions rather than emotion where it's like a book cover. You feel like you got the best cover and you know it's your best cover, but then everybody else tells you, no, you should pick this cover instead. How were you able to adapt like that some people would be like no i'm writing about this book and then they would have left michelle or they would have left the course like how like what was some of the like how are you able to just fully adapt with that well honestly the the yeah we could see the figures the beauty of you know the the, the ubiquitous zoom meeting for 2020 was we she shared the screen with us we could see the software at work we could see the figures we could see what the competition was making and it began to seem really sweet and um it didn't take me too long to get on quite honestly <laughs> and get aboard um we uh, one of the things that I knew that we had to do was to find a hook for our book because, you know, as I said, the competition was quite fierce and, have, and there have been quite a few books, even since ours was published in October the 12th, there have been more that have come out on raised bed gardening. Uh, we're not the only person obviously benefiting from reverse engineering software. Um, so the hook if I can go into that for your listeners, because I think that's really important. We had to find a hook for our particular book. Why buy ours and not one of the established trendsetters in the market? And there were four things that we did. And we, we really, once we got on board, we really investigated this very carefully. There were container growing, there were books on raised bed growing, but there wasn't one on both. And so we saw that as a possible avenue, you know, corner the market on both of these, slightly widen the audience. So that was the first thing, hence the, the book is called Container and Raised Bed Gardening. Uh, and many people do both of them, not just one or the other. The next hook was we 
uh, a lot of the competition wrote for beginners and clearly that was a huge market within gardening. It was main, primarily a beginner's market, but I wanted to expand it a little because there is the anomalous situation where you could have a gardener of many years, but someone who'd never gone into raised bed gardening. So essentially they're a novice raised bed gardener, but they are, you know, a fairly, uh, they, they are a gardener in other respects. So that was another part of the audience. And then there is the person who's simply a little bit more advanced, but who, for whom the book might have had appeal. And so we extended the audience to make it beginners and beyond. A little bit infinite, and I think that's helped. And then the third hook was most of the books out there tend to be written for vegetable gardening and they throw in herbs along the way. And you'll notice in the subtitle, it's vegetables, a guide to growing vegetables, herbs, fruit and cut flowers. So again, extending that audience a little, widening the net. And then the final hook, and this is something very close to my heart. I'm a great cook and particularly a baker. And I use a lot of what we grow uh, in the kitchen. And so the, the ultimate, the, the, the book culminates in a chapter, and I have to give Michelle credit for this. This was her copy, From Garden to Table. And basically there are 10 recipes which you, which, in which you use harvest from your garden, whether it's lemons, blueberries, uh, uh, strawberries, spinach, etc., cetera, uh, oregano, basil, whatever. And that was just a nice touch because it's, again, it extends that net to people who do baking. And I, I, it's actually doing pretty well on the bestseller list for, ba for, uh, for baking, and it's, it's about number five. So it's doing quite well there under natural foods. And so you, know, you, you if you can find these hooks, we, were, we thought about it very carefully. It sounds a little cold-blooded perhaps, but you can't just write this book and expect it to sell. You have to really think about it and do an audience analysis beforehand. I think that was vital for me. I mean, the data, it, it can lead to so many conclusions and it's important to know what path is going to be the best one for you to succeed as an author. And then when you know who you're writing for in advance, the book writes itself. And then you are catering to a specific audience rather than a broad audience. And it is valuable to get a little more specific with who you're reaching out to. And that's going to help you sell more of your books. Now, I'm wondering if we could talk a little bit about the marketing. Like what did the marketing look like? Let's start with marketing stuff before you published the book. What were some of the stuff you were doing leading up to the big day? Well, one of the things, maybe this doesn't occur to people, obviously you look at your chief competition and you know that you identify a couple of the, of the, the books that are really doing well. Uh, and something which I found intriguing, rather than looking at what they were doing that was so good, look at what they were doing that wasn't that wonderful. And so you spend a little time going over their reviews on Amazon, specifically their negative reviews. And that was really interesting. Now, that said, there's always going to be some somebody, some curmudgeon who just vents and, you know, puts out a negative review because that's sort of what floats their boat. And, you, you know, you don't worry about those ones. You look at a pattern that's starting to come through. And um, 
when I did, and we clearly established the pattern of negative reviews. What were people, what did people feel was missing from the book? What didn't they like? What was the approach that seemed to upset them? And so I made a very, very conscious, determined effort to make sure I'm, I included that information in my book, that I didn't um, uh, take that same approach, which would uh, obviously had annoyed people and, you know, not basically not to repeat the mistakes that, that these folks, had, you know, had made. It's so much easier to improve upon something once you, you know, once you have the product out there. And that was really interesting. No, I don't think I would have thought to go and look at negative reviews. Now, of course, you know, we vary into the reviews, but that they certainly um, drove our marketing quite extensively. Yeah, I mean, those reviews are so important. And for my books, I look at all the reviews, positive and negative. One of the reviews is like, oh, like you could have included more stories. And now I include a few more examples. Like I don't do too many story example stuff because I don't want a longer book than what it really should mm -hmm. be. Uh, but again, that's just a lesson that applies to me. So if you don't have any reviews yet, whether because you haven't published a book or because you've only published a few that just haven't gotten reviews, you can look at all of the reviews of other books in your space what are they missing? What are they lacking? Because a lot of good books, like they have similar qualities, like, oh, they were well-written, they did this, they did that, but what uh, are the qualities that books are missing and how can you fill in those holes? I mean, that, that research process is so important for creating a great book and then being able to market it. I'm wondering if we could go into like what happens when the book goes live like social media email like what did that process look like okay so let me let me go on a little to um it took uh i think i spent about seven seven weeks writing the book once i'd done the research and when the book actually uh came out on october the uh 10th and then it went live about a month later and that was extraordinary. First of all, we had um, the categories were really important in Amazon. So we had uh, a lot of good categories, which had been well thought out, well researched. And uh, it's a so maybe people don't aren't aware of this, but with with Amazon Kindle, you can't do this with the paperback, but the Kindle, there's the paid version and then the free version. So for the marketing, what they do to generate awareness, basically, and to get your book out there, is they, they market promotion of the, of the book as a freebie. And they simply give it away for two days or five days. I think that's the limit. We did it uh, for two days. And that's where you basically get yourself known. Um, Michelle used a wonderful analogy. She said, imagine you walk into Barnes Noble and you have high hopes of seeing your books on those glorious gleaming wooden tables as you come in, but your book isn't there. Instead, it's way, way, way in the back, in the furthest, darkest, gloomiest corner, down in the bottom with a couple of books on top, piled on randomly and probably gathering dust. And if you don't actually promote your book 
even if it's a great book, unless you have a name that's sort of like, you know, like Barack Obama, that's obviously going to sell. If you just Joe blog, that's where your book ends up somewhere in the netherworld of Amazon, if that's the, the, the platform you're using, because there are, correct me if I'm wrong, Mark, about 6 million Kindle copies There's in the lot. Kindle store. There's a lot of copies. And about, apparently about 4 million freebie books so you know if you, you have to promote your book otherwise it just it's just out there floating around and no find it so that was the promotion that um, caused our book to take off and go viral it's um during the during this promotion it goes to other publishing and it gets listed and so your name is out there it's just you know publicity and yes, you're giving the book away, but you don't really expect to make a huge fortune on the Kindle. So it's not, it's not that painful to do it. And um, it's, it really, uh, we ended up, let me give you some stats here. Uh, we ended up for the two days, we had almost 6,000 downloads of the, um, of the book, the Kindle version. Uh, it made 14, uh, lists as the number one bestseller. It made the top 100. And again, if you consider that there are about 4 million free books and only the top 100 are listed, I mean, that is huge. Uh, after the actual promotion, it's, uh, and this is what it was such a huge surprise, is it, uh, it was number one for about 48 hours on three of the paid lists. Because the minute it comes off the free list, it goes onto the paid version. And then, of course, it can sort of disappear. It also made, during the, 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 the marketing promotion, it made number one bestseller on two Australian lists. So that was a huge bonus as well. They're obviously very into gardening and Aussie. Um, I mean, Michelle could not believe it. Uh, she said she'd published 200 books. This was the biggest launch ever. Um, up to that date, 2,500 downloads was considered prime. And this was almost 6,000. And you know, the unfortunate thing is being rookies, we really didn't you know, appreciate this fully. Now I do it with hindsight. But at the time, it was just wonderful and exciting we really didn't realize quite what a big deal it was. I mean, 6,000 downloads. I know it's free, but that's still 6,000 readers who know about you now. That's going to help you a lot with the paid ranking. That's readers who can leave reviews. That's people who, uh, like, if you write a second book, those are going to be people who become returning customers. There's a lot that can happen uh, even if someone initially gets to know you through a free book. And I think everybody should do the free book model, uh, even just for a few days going into the launch if they don't want to make a book free forever, because that will help you so much. And you combine that with being very specific with your topic, looking at the data as Wendy has, and you can have a book that really has that amazing growth. Uh, Wendy, I'm going to include your book in the show notes, Breakthrough Success Listeners. Definitely make sure you check that out. But Wendy has a giveaway for us. Um, as well. So I'm wondering if you want to share about that a little bit. Well, absolutely. We'd love to give away an order by auto um, graft copy of the book. Uh, so on our website, wendysgardenstore.com, 
we'll have a podcast giveaway page and if you go and you sign up there uh, you'll be eligible for the uh, for the the um, competition all right we will have that link in the show notes make sure you enter the giveaway uh, because a autographed book around gardening I feel like that's going to be something that a lot of people can get benefit from. Wendy, thank you so much for joining us on Breakthrough Success. It was a pleasure to have you here today. Mark, it's been fabulous. You've been a great host. Thank you very much. And for anyone who's keen to go through the process, it's, uh, it certainly has its moments, but it was an amazing growth experience. It truly was.